Nervous Habits Bonus Content Hello, Namaste, Shalom, and welcome to Nervous Habits Bonus Content. This is the fourth edition of the bonus episodes of Nervous Habits. And if you don't know, essentially for the bonus episodes, we bring together, we bring, or rather we bring back uh, guests from previous episodes to kind of talk about anything that's on our mind. It's a free-form discussion, less scripted, less pre-planned and rehearsed than um, the other episodes usually are. And here for this bonus episode, we have none other than Jeremy Pactor. Jeremy, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Ricky. I'm thrilled to be back. It's the I, highlight of my week. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Flattery will get you everywhere, son. Um, so in the background, I think I can hear some crickets or some birds chirping. What's what's going on? Are you, are you calling us from like the other side of the world or something? You're in the wilderness? Yeah, little, mother nature, as they say. Mother I'm nature? I'm out in the jungle right now. There's some monkeys and... Uh... And you're, water, you're seeking water. refugee under a under a big oak tree or something? Yeah, just another Thursday afternoon. So I want to ask you, you know, it, it's Halloween uh, today. Are, are you dressing up? Or do you have you have anything planned? <laughs> um, no. <laughs> no, you're not. You're too old to dress up. Actually, no, well, you no, just, because you, it's not Halloween today. You just turned 27 two months ago. Yeah, fuck. It's like I can't curse. No, you can curse. You can curse. Uh, it, it's like speaking out of your ass here. <laughs> It's, it's, like, it's, like, it's like, in case the viewers want to actually know the truth. We're, no, 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 no. Uh, so, uh, happy Halloween, uh, first and foremost. And, you know, again, like, for... He's like, man, uh, <laughs> for, for the again for the bonus episode uh, essentially it's for you know you guys who are at the gym or you're going on a run you're on the train you're on the bus you know you're cooking dinner you're folding laundry you're cleaning and you need that nervous habits you need that fix you need to know what's going on you need to you know hear my voice and and hear from my friends and the gaggle of of your characters that we bring together here on the show and Jeremy what I want to talk to you about today and and obviously you know it's free form so you can chime in with anything so I was reading a book the other day I was at Barnes and Noble I got some uh, I or you know, I, I had had some time between my classes, you know, busy, busy semester here, fall and law school. And the book was called Are You Smart Enough to Work at Google? It was by uh, William Poundstone. <laughs> and the book actually talks about how Google selects people to hire. Essentially, I'm sure you know this, Google hires like one out of every 130 applicants. So in contrast, about one in 14 students applying to Harvard gets accepted. Uh, Google is essentially, I think, one of, if not the most selective company in the world. And I know, if, like, for a while, you were thinking about working at Google. So, like, how, how do you how do you evaluate those odds? One in one thirty. Um, I've never heard about those odds, but I think it's it depends on the job you're applying for at Google. I mean, if you're going into like a sales role, I question what the odds are getting a sales job compared to software engineering. I mean, if it's a software-based company, probably there's a higher probability of getting a job there because there's more positions. I don't know. It's a mm. question, but either way, it sounds pretty selective. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's pretty insane when you think about it. And and I mean, to your point about uh, generalist positions versus like specializations in sales or software. So I think Google. So from this book, what I learned was Google's mindset is essentially they hire for the company. They don't hire for a department. So if you apply, if you apply for a sales job, they don't look at you and, and say, "Okay, he'd be great for sales." They say, "Like he would be good in general for Google," and they might either mo- you know move you to a different department or they might you know just shift you to a different role immediately. So that's also something that's different um, compared to other companies. And I don't know, like most jobs, they have pretty s- standard interview questions. I- have you done like a lot of interviewing in the last you know 
three, four years since you've been out of grad school? Yeah, a little bit. So, like, I've been on, dude. I, I told you this. I've been on more interviews than probably any any human being in the history of the Homo sapien like species because I I bounced around, just moved, you know, th- through different positions. And so, like, most jobs have pretty standard interview questions. Like, they'll say, "Tell me about a time you didn't get al- get along with your coworker," or um, "Tell me about a time you overcame a challenge." What's your biggest achievement? What do you think is like the weirdest question that you've ever been asked on a job interview? If you can think, of, I, if you can think of anything, I'm putting you on the spot. The, the most unusual, the, the question where you're just like, "Shit, I have, I have no idea what I'm going to say right now." Um, I'm like pulling it out of my I, ass. I don't think I've been caught off guard that much on questions. I think more like you're going to be caught off guard I, today. Then, got yeah, to get you back. Really no, I think uh, like coming in and like not expecting or not like being prepared for the, the "what's your weakness" question kind of sucks. Like you, like you walk in and they're like, "What's your weakness?" And you're like, "All right, like." Dude, that that's an easy one though. It's it's know it is, it's you know I you know I, I'm so detail oriented that sometimes it's like it stifles my production. Not <laughs> uh, you know, the first time I was asked that, I was like probably thinking like, I don't want to like seem like I like suck, but I also don't want to be like a cocky guy, you know. So it's, I don't know. I mean, yeah. That, you kind of I kind of know what I'm getting myself into most of the time when I go for interviews. Like I'm ready for what they have. I mean, I haven't done the Googles of the world yet. Do you know what's funny is like if you answered that question honestly, what's your biggest weakness? Like, you know, I actually get attached romantically to women yeah. after one date. You know, I, I can be a little creepy at times, a little obsessive. Like, imagine, and then you just don't get hired for the job because you're oversharing. Um, weird guy. Yeah. So, do, do you know what the most caught off guard I've ever been for a job? What? So when I was uh, when I was leaving my paralegal position, this was right before I got the job working for the mayor. I was interviewing at a bunch of finance companies for compliance jobs, and I I didn't really know a lot about finance, and I still don't. So I interviewed for some I don't know if it was an investor relations position or some compliance analyst position, um, which is like the intersection of of legal and finance. But I really didn't know much about finance. I was just kind of bullshitting my way through the interview, and I kid you not, the guy sits me down. Um, it was like four interviews in one day, and Jeremy, he, he, he sits me out and he asks me, okay, you know, I just want to get a sense for how much you know about finance. Could you explain to me what is a derivative? <laughs> and I was like, literally, and I, I'm ultra prepared. Uh, it's very rare that you catch me off guard, as you know, you guys, you guys know here with the pod. So I was, I like, I did not know what to say. I was floundering, like, like literally, like a flounder on the table. Um, and I, I said something really. I kind of qualified it by saying like, oh, you know, I'm not entirely certain, but from, you know, I, I fluffed it up a little um, and I bombed. I bombed that question. And then he started asking me like, you know, what does it mean to short uh, a stock? You know, what's the, difference between a, what's the difference between a stock and a bond? I did not know any of this stuff. So I was bullshitting him. Um, and it suffice to say I didn't get the job. So certainly. Huh. Um, I think he, I, I had like an interview probably at, at Apple or something, and they they like the start of the question was like, okay, given this pro like they named some protocol that like I'd never heard of, mm. and I was like, what do you mean? And they were like, what do you what do you mean? You don't know this? This is like a common protocol. I like never heard of it. And then we couldn't you couldn't even ask me the question. Mm. I had no clue what he was talking about. Yeah. Well, it's funny actually. I, by the way, make sure you speak up because the audio waves are looking very low when you talk. So it's funny actually. I, in this book by uh, William Poundstone, I love that name by the way, Poundstone. <laughs> In the book, they, they talk about how when Google interviews, they ask people like, what's your favorite Google feature? And then a lot of people will say like Gmail or, you know, like Google Earth. And then they'll ask you like, what's one way that you would improve Gmail or improve Google Earth? 
and it's it's like a bullshit detector. It's their way of seeing do you actually know the product? You know what I mean? Like yeah. any, anyone could say, "Oh, like Google Play, you know, Google Music or Google Shop." But then for them to say what feature needs improvement, that actually weeds out the people that know what they're talking about and people like me that are just trying to bullshit. Yeah. Um one more, by the way, one more experience just as we're walking down memory lane here. One more experience for me where I was totally like like, you know, uh, owned in a job interview. I was interviewing for another finance company and they had asked me, you know that question of like, why do you want to work here? Like, what, why our company? And the guy just says like, you know, like, you're, you're obviously very qualified. I'm sure you're interviewing at other places. Why do you want to work at this company? And I gave like a very well-prepared answer. I was like, well, you know, given the 30, the rich 30-year like cultural history of this company and it's, you know, the it, it, its position in the landscape of the financial markets and... I, like a very flowery answer, dude. Anyone else would have been like, okay, thank you, and moved on. The guy was like, but why this company? And I gave him the same answer, and then he was like, he's like, you're, and he literally called me out. He was like, you're just telling me, making these generalizations. He's like, you, you've probably given that answer at fifty other companies. The guy literally like demeaned me and made me feel really bad about myself. <laughs> but yeah, that was that was another one of my like interview nightmares. You know, my, my first my first interview was like for a summer job at like World Gym Camp in Long Island. Mm-hmm. I'd be like a camp counselor. And I like I like walk in and the guy's like, sit up like I was like looked over. <laughs> what the what the hell? I was like stressed out. I was like sixteen or whatever. He's like, sit up straight and then he's like, You're not dressed well enough for an interview and I was like, What do you mean? And That's I was hilarious. Like a polo and like like a what was I wearing? It was probably like a, probably like a short sleeve polo and like like khakis or something. And he was like, "This is supposed to be an interview." Like what? I was like already like like I was like about to cry. It was like my first interview, so that was pretty bad. Dude, that's really and, sad. And then I got the job. I was like, I don't know. So if we're being open, I, I'll tell them really quick, Jeremy, about the uh, you know who that interviewed me for that Russian company. So. Yeah. So I uh, – this is something I also haven't disclosed in the pod. By the way, if you listen to the bonus episodes, you really get a lot of like inside access to you know like like stuff that I don't disclose, divulge on the um, the general episodes. So like back when I did the bonus episode with Adam, I started talking about you know how I watch The Bachelor sometimes, which you know was not known to the listeners. And now I'll tell you. So when I was in New York City, I worked for a very short time for a company that essentially um, managed – and executed events like business. <laughs> Managed and executed people. <laughs> Managed and executed <laughs> human beings. <laughs> yeah. So uh, but that's just that's a like corporate speak. That managed events, that put on events like business networking conferences where they brought together like big speakers, Malcolm Gladwell and Steve Forbes and Ariana Huffington. And there was one like Keystone event at Madison Square Garden. Anyway, it was like it was like a, a Russian Probably shouldn't give this much information. Yeah, no, I, might, like, I might have to edit it out. Anyway, so um, I go for the interview, and typically, you know, you, there's like three stages of interviews. You got to talk to a bunch of people, and I talk to the HR director, and I talk to her for like five minutes, and sh- she asked me like one question. She looked at my resume, and she's like, "Okay, like, like, what's your experience?" And I was like, "Yeah, I started going to my like my lit- litany of, you know, th- I did this, this, this," and she like, cuts me off halfway. She's like, "Okay, great," like she's like, "We're probably gonna hire you," and I was like, "What?" And and then she's like and then she's like I just to be sure I'd like to introduce you to the CEO. So this Russian guy comes in. He doesn't speak a lick of English, very little English, as I mentioned to Jeremy and my friends before. And as I'm talking to him, <laughs> he like literally he asks me a question, kind of same thing, like like what have you done? And and I I, I start to go into it. He pulls out his cell phone. He's like texting. 
<laughs> like half listening to me. I'm like finishing up my, my answer, my polished response. He starts looking to the side and he nods his head, like cutting out. Okay. He's like, okay, okay, okay. How much money you want? <laughs> and I like, I like named an amount and I was like, you know, I feel like this is market market price for my value and he was like he just looks to the side barely listening he goes okay okay we can do that you're hired it was like it was the most i've never seen anything like it like within 10 minutes i had interviewed with the whole company the guy like was not even listening to anything i had to say hired me at like at my price and you know it's safe to say i was only there for a couple months because there was a lot of a lot of sketchy um you know ongoings at the company but i mean you, you remember i told you those stories about some of the stuff that went down there yeah, you like put me in as like a potential like investor, and then they called me. Oh no! Oh, wait, did I? Kind of like oh a- no! So, uh, God, um, I mean, at this point, this is years ago. So, essentially, we had to. My job, I was like. So it's funny, I, I was immediately hired and they made me like the vice president of the company. I'm not even kidding. I have business cards. I was like the senior vice president of the company. You're and like 20, 20. I, I, was, I was like 24 at the time. This was like. No, 24, 25. This was right after the mayor's office. And um, and so they made me like the senior vice president. I have all these business cards. I called my dad that night. <clears throat> my dad's like, you know, did you find a job or whatever? And I'm like, yeah, you know, this company hired me. I'm like, I'm, I'm running <laughs> I'm running like the entire partnerships department. And he was like, what? Um, essentially, they gave me a title. It was me. I was the director of partnerships for universities and businesses. And there were these two like 70-year-old guys who had the same job as me. And they were like, why is this like 23-year-old kid like doing the same stuff as us? And we had to work with like companies to try to like get sponsorship deals and like universities and business schools to get sponsorship deals for this event. And so the goal was we had to like call and email a bunch of people to get them involved. And so I think at one point I gave them Jeremy's number and every day he got a call. <laughs> from this guy who, whose name I won't say. Uh, I remember his name. And, uh, yeah, well, I mean, the first name. And, um, yeah, shit, those were the good old days. It's funny, man. I have all these stories that I haven't shared on the, uh, <clears throat> on the, on the podcast, but uh, they're pretty good, pretty good stories. And then you were, like, worried they were going to come after you or something. Mm. <laughs> well, because, uh, God, I'm being like way too. It's a good thing. No, it's a good thing. Only only like 75 percent of people who listen to the regular ones listen to the bonus episodes. Um, damn, I don't even know how we got on this topic, but that that was that experience was wild. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's funny. I've never. So I have some stories uh, that my listeners have not heard about. So I'm glad that you know at least with this forum, people are getting to hear these. So anyway, um, we're getting off topic. I, I mean, it's the bonus episode. There is no topic, but essentially, I, I want to get into this book a little bit more, Jeremy. Most job interviews, they ask like fairly formulaic questions, but like in recent years, what's happened after the recession, you have far more job applicants than jobs. So employers have the upper hand because you have a hundred people vying for one job, whereas years ago it was a hundred people vying for like a hundred jobs. So the employers are, you know, thinking creatively about how they can weed people out. So companies like Bank of America and AT&T and Johnson and Johnson, they're asking questions like, if you could be a superhero, which superhero would you be? Or what color best represents your personality? Or what animal are you? I mean, like, if you got those questions, like, how would you, how would you answer what animal are you? That's kind of a wild one. I'd, I'd question, like, the job I was applying to. <laughs> Dude, Bank of America, man? AT&T? That's, like, the biggest companies in their respective yeah, industries. What, what animal are you? I mean, they're trying to, like, like Dude, open you up. In the book... Um, I, I can't remember if it was Bank of America or I think it was might have been Merrill Lynch. Someone said it was like which cartoon character are you? Someone said Yogi Bear. He was hired on the spot without he didn't even explain like why they were like Yogi Bear. He's hired. They're like we love that guy. Exactly. Um. So yeah, it, like it makes a difference. And at certain jobs, 
they ask you like really weirdly specific ones. So, all right, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you a question. No cheating. Immediate, and I'm gonna know if you're cheating based on how quickly you answer. If you take even a beat, then you cheated. Ready? Shut me out. Yeah. At J.P. Morgan Chase, they ask applicants the value of pi to see how many digits they can recite. Go. Okay. Three point one four one five nine. Uh, two six five three five. Keep going. Four five nine seven nine. Nope. Now he's cheating, boys. <laughs> no, I'm not cheating. How did you? Uh, I mean, y- y- you got like twelve, but I helped you with five of them. Anyway, um, I was getting there. I used to know more. So, yeah, man. I mean, I don't know if you had this in math class. Like, you would name the digits of pi, and then whoever got the most got like a pi or something. Yeah, <laughs> but, like but in at JP Morgan, literally, you walk in and you're prepared you know like oh i'm gonna memorize all this stuff about the history of the company and then they start asking you like i name every digit of pi on the spot it's like shit but at other companies at bloomberg you know what they do they give you a paragraph and they say how many times was is the letter h in this paragraph for example and it's it's really hard because your brain skips over if you see like the or this it skips right over or if you see there's an f if you guys after this after this episode you go you type in like f word illusion there's like scientific files it's the same deal like no one gets it how many f's are in the, the, the paragraph well you know about cognitive heuristics it's it this is kind of this is kind of similar but if they ask you like are there more words in the english language that start with k or have k as the third letter 99 percent of people will say there's more words in the english language that to start with k because it's easier to call to mind like kite and kit kat and you know koala and kangaroo but it's harder to call to call to mind words like you know York, York, and Park, and Pakistan. Uh, or I guess not Park, but York. Like what is this? Park, yeah. <laughs> but no, but but uh, you know you know what I'm saying. But 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 the cognitive heuristic is that it's it's harder to think of those. So, yeah. anyways, uh, the mode of interviewing is evolving, and probably my favorite story from the book that I read uh, is there's this guy's name is Peter Muller, and he's the manager of Morgan Stanley's hedge fund PDT. And he's famous for asking job applicants to – have you heard about this? To estimate the amount of cash in his wallet with 95% confidence. So he wants you to name two figures, a low and a high number, and you have to be 95% confident that it's in that range. That he, yeah. that he So have, have you heard of that before? Maybe. I don't know. So anyway, first of all, what would you say and then what, would, what do you think most people would say for the high and low number? So what, what, is, his, what is his position? So he's the the manager of Morgan Stanley's hedge fund PDT. Okay, manager. So I mean, like, if there's no like rules, like I would just like say zero is the low and a really high number is the high. But obviously, you want to be closer, right? I mean, I I don't know. It's it's your like, like right out of the gate. Like if he told me that you definitely need to be like in in the right ballpark, I would just say ridiculously low and ridiculously high numbers for the range. Obviously. Right. I, 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 so, so I don't know the particulars, but I would imagine that it's confined to like a fairly limited range. Like you can't say zero to like, you know, 600 million, you know, it has to be something reasonable. I mean, he, he's, yeah. so I mean, well, well, okay. So do you have, I would, I would say that like, probably it's like not wise to carry more than $300 cash on you. Yes. Maybe, maybe even a little more if, if the guy's feeling like. I don't know. Maybe he has to spend cash, so maybe four hundred dollars max. <clears throat> so the way that this works, dude, is most people will say zero is the low number, and they'll say like you know two, three hundred is the high number. And what this guy does, whatever high figure you give, he pulls it out from his wallet. 
Like literally, they, they talk about in the book, people will say like $500, they'll say 1000 and he'll just whip it out. So he comes into this, inter- into this interview and he probably has, you know, theoretically like dozens of $100 bills. So if someone says a couple thousand, he pulls it out. You know what I mean? So, or you nail it and he's like really impressed and you get the job. Yeah. So like, I don't know, like that's kind of an interesting, like also ki- kind of requires a lot of judgment that you have to like meet someone and immediately know how much money's in their pocket. Because what if he's the type of person that doesn't even carry cash? You know what yeah. I mean? And, and also like on a given day, it's probably really different. And he, if he's preparing that question in the first place, probably, you know, he, like how are you supposed to know? Like he wants to like make you feel like he's like way above you by having that much money. Kind of get you out of your game right away. Um, absolutely. I mean for me, if, if, if it was maybe like between zero and zero, like I'd, I'd never have cash. Um, but yeah, so I want to get into some of the like more difficult questions that Google asks. And these ones are kind of like infamous. You've probably heard like horror stories about this before. It's questions that there's no, no right answers for these. And they just want to see your process. And I, so I, I've read these questions for some of them. I'm familiar with the answers for others of them. I don't know the answers. So I want to kind of like, you know, do like a mock interview kind of thing. Like, I'm going to ask the question and think strategically, Jeremy, of how you might answer it. So the first category of questions they ask are questions that, that require an estimate. How, like, how would you estimate the amount of one small object in a much larger object? So let's kind of pretend this is an interview, Jeremy. And I, you know, we're sitting down and we're making small talk. You're, you're wearing a suit. Um, and I'm just going to ask you, okay, you know, do you mind, uh, Mr. Pactor? Uh, if you had to estimate, how many gas stations do you think there are in the United States? Okay. And he's, by the way, to the listeners, he's not, I, we, we didn't, he, has no, he had no idea that question was coming. But go ahead. How many gas stations are, are in the U.S.? Man, you're putting me on the spot here, boy. How, how, do you, how would you, uh, uh, let's see your process. Yeah, so how many gas Jer- stations? Jeremy's like furiously Googling. No, I'm just kidding. No, so, so things that we need to, under, to figure out are how many would make sense based on the number of cars that need to be served in, in a given day or a given time span, right? Okay. And also, it'll, it'll change geographically. So it's like, like, what's the strategy? Is it even to, like, like, are you in a big city? Are you spread out? So I think, like, I mean, if, if I wanted to be really thorough with this question, I would probably break up, like, like countries, I mean, sorry, uh, states. I'm like thinking countries. Break up the states. He's really floundering, boys. I don't know if he's gonna get this job. <laughs> I would probably break up uh, the states um, in terms of like major cities in the states. Maybe like like you know like eight million in New York City. Just trying to figure out like I mean to really really figure out. But like again, you know, they they they're not looking for the right answer. They want to see your process. So like. I mean, I'm going to ask you... So, so do, doing what I just did would be, like, really over overkill. No, what you just did... So, again, like, just from reading the book and knowing Google's practices, I think your, like, thought process was good, but I don't know if your answer would have been adequate because... Well, I didn't, I didn't answer yet. I'm oh, oh, okay, okay. Go ahead. Sorry. All right. So, like, so my approach is to say, like, if we're... If I'm saying that there's like 200 million cars in the country, maybe maybe it's even more than that. I mean, that people are actually using to get to work. Then maybe there are 2,000 per gas station. So that would make there's like like maybe like 100. I would say there's like 100,000 gas stations. Okay, so around 100,000. Yeah. Um, 
So if I was answering this, I would probably say there is three, the population of America is 300 million, and out of that 300 million, probably two two thirds of that is is families. So that's what like 200, 200 million are families, and then what did you say the U.S. population is? I think it's three hundred million. And oh, I thought it was more. No, and um, I mean I might be right. I'm just I'm spitballing, and then the. So 200 million is families, and then every family has, I'd probably say the ratio of families to cars is is about two families for one car because you have to take take into consideration the amount. Two families to one car? Yeah, because you have to take, take into consideration like some families can't afford a car, rural, rural areas or, or urban areas, they don't, they don't drive. So that's like 100 million, and then... If every gas station can service a community, maybe you have like three gas stations servicing a community of, you know, ten to twenty thousand people. That's fifteen thousand divided by a hundred million. Um, I think our answers are going to be similar. I think our answers are both going to be a hundred thousand. Um, so, so let's see. Yeah. Is that is is that? I wonder because again, I haven't looked this up. How many gas stations in the U.S.? Let's see if our logic. There are 168,000 locations that sell fuels to the public. So we got at least we got the scientific notation correct. Um, Ten to the fifth. So that was one of the more challenging ones. I'm I'm gonna ask you one more of the estimates, and then the other brain teasers are actually like I think a little easier because You're stressing me out, man. <laughs> I mean the the estimate ones are are tough, and it's probably not like amazing listening for. Our friends who are like, oh, you know, this is so like useless. But um, but I think it's I think it's kind of like like seeing your thought process is is, is kind of cool. I'm so. Let's see. Okay, so if you were to stack, uh, so if you had an infinite supply of pennies and you were to stack them as tall as the Empire State Building, number one, how many pennies would there be? I'm sorry. So we have an infinite number of pennies. Like, like, like you have a pool, you have a pool of pennies, like a never-ending pile, and you had to stack that you know that pile up to the Empire State Building. How many pennies would you need? Um, this one might be easier, actually. So okay, so I would say that a penny is like a millimeter, millimeter thick. So if I say a penny is a millimeter thick. How many would I have to stack up? So then I just need to know the height of the Empire State Building. Do you want me to give you an actual number? Or you just want to hear my process. Oh, uh, you know, here at Google, we're we're really concerned with your process above all Thank else. Thank you, sir. Please proceed. So, so let's say that there's about three feet per meter. So I would convert the thousand five hundred feet of the Empire State Building to how to, to millimeters. So first, I convert that to meters. So one thousand five hundred feet um, and times uh, three feet per, I'm sorry, one meter per three feet. So I would divide the 1500 by three, giving me 500. So that's um, 500 meters. Okay. And so anyway, how many pennies, there are three millimeters, uh, one millimeter, whatever. So that, that, that was my thinking process. <laughs> so, For the oh, sake of the, the Okay, so, so what, is your, what is your answer, son? Or do, do you not have one? 500 meters and then there's um, 1 over 10 to the third two, three. so I'd say 500,000 is my number yeah excellent excellent awesome 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 um, so uh, that, that's good so 
I don't know, like like ha- listening to your process, I think that we could probably simplify. Like if I was interviewing, do you remember when you were in like earth science and you learned about orders of magnitude? Sure. You learned about how, like, yeah, it doesn't really matter. Like, that's why that's, that's why I kind of stuck with a hundred stories or whatever. Like ten to the zero. It's it's like like you look at like um circumference or not like radius of like a golf ball is like ten to the zero. Radius of like a basketball is ten to the one. Uh, you know, radius of like the room is or, or not radius, but like length of the room is like ten to the two. The length of a stadium is ten. To, and you would learn about all that. Maybe that would be a better way to go about it. Like, because then you're you're just dealing with with ten. And then once Maybe. you get once you get like ten to the five, then you can say, okay, it's closer to you know nine than it is to one. But uh, sure. but yeah, I think that process was good. I'm gonna move on. I'm just just to more like exciting puzzles. Yeah, content. Um, it's like an exam. Yeah, no, I mean, because a lot a lot of that, yeah, a lot of that was a little a little dry. So. Probably the most famous and a question that Google has asked, and something that um, you might be familiar with, uh, I, I certainly had heard um, before I read this book by William Poundstone. Uh, <laughs> that's such a great name. And um, so, so the question is: let, let me pull it up. And again, you probably heard about it. It's it's very famous. And it it the question is: you are shrunk to the height of a nickel and thrown into a blender. Your mass is reduced so that your density is the same as usual. The blades will start moving in 60 seconds. What do you do? Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. How, say, say it again. You, okay, so you're shrunk to the height of a nickel, and you're thrown into a blender. So close your eyes and imagine that. Honey, I shrunk the kids. You're inside a, bl- a blender. Your mass is reduced so that your density is the same as usual. The blades will start moving in 60 seconds. What do you do? This is a very famous thought experiment that Google asks, and there are several – I mean there's no right answer because this is a hypothetical. There are several, I think, answers that they consider appropriate or you know, uh, uh, fitting. So there's, there are some that are not great. So actually I, I, know, I know all these already. So I, I have a cell phone? <laughs> I, so again, I'm, I'm going to be the interviewer here. Um, do you have a cell phone? Uh, yes, but at that – uh, no, no, you don't have a cell phone. Really? Okay. I, I was gonna make some argument about like the radio waves wouldn't transmit, yeah, but yeah. I, I, I didn't. I, I don't I, know about yeah. Oh, oh, you want to bet, dude? I was just reading this book, <laughs> The Physics of Everyday Objects. I know all about. I know how the toaster works. Dude, don't even come at me about that. Yeah. So what do I do? Well, yeah, I mean, what do you do? My first like thought is: Is my goal to survive, or is there a possibility of escaping before? The, the blades go off, right? Those are two different questions. Your goal is to survive. Now your so second goal is to survive. Your second question is what? No, no. So my first question is no. I'm saying is my goal to survive or is my goal to escape? Because if I, I basically have to assess whether it's possible to get out in that 60 seconds, or if I want to just like pick up like a good. I think that my backup plan would be if I realize that there's like 55 seconds in, um, I would like hide in like a corner that would like. I could just hang out there and I would never get thrown into the blending <laughs> Dude, this is great. Like, I, 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 whoever's interviewing you for these jobs, like, would not be able to keep a straight face. <laughs> you just said you're gonna, yeah, like, you're gonna, like, yeah, you're like hide in the corner. Dude. Yeah. Um, what would I do, man? I don't know. Can I climb the walls? I mean, like, this is an interview, man. You can't ask, you can, you need to, like, make a statement. Like, like, what, what would you do? And why? And why? We want to see a reason. The first twenty seconds freaking out. No, I'm just kidding. Can you imagine um, if someone says that? I mean, that's kind of like realistic. That's a good answer. It's realistic. It's yeah. likable. Um, I would I would try to see if I can climb the walls. The first thing I would do. Well, I think like if I'm gonna get out on my own, I, I just assume that I'm gonna yell and stuff. If no one can hear me because I'm tiny and maybe there's no one in the room to begin with. 
then I would decide that I have to try to get out on my own in some way. Mm -hmm. um, so first I would try to see how stable the blender is. Can I knock it over? If I can knock it, if I can run into it and I'm heavy enough and I can push it over, I can just walk out no problem so I don't have to fight gravity. Um, and also is the blender, does the bottom of the blender enter into like some sort of container, right? So I would try to see if I can knock it over and just like crawl out without having to go up against gravity, mm -hmm. or if I could somehow sink down into like away from the blades to avoid just getting killed that way. Uh, if neither of those were possible, I would try to climb out, and if the material wasn't conducive to climbing out, I would probably just try to find a way to survive. I don't really know how blades on blenders work. I doubt I'd want to be sitting on the blade. <laughs> So I would probably try to like pick an area that I can grab onto. It would be pretty beat. I'd hope I could survive in one of those three ways I mentioned before. So that's actually a phenomenal answer. Um, I would if so like if, if you gave that answer, you might you might actually get hired at Google. So you should we should probably end this um, podcast and you should you should go work on that. So essentially, this is what uh, Poundstone says in the book. <laughs> he says that most people give the following answers, Jeremy. Most people say that they would tie their clothes together like a rope and try to throw it over the side so they could no cl climb out and the interviewer would say there's not enough time to do that and even if there was you'd probably fall down a lot so that wouldn't work some people some yeah. people say that they'll lie down under the blades and the idea is you know the blades are spinning for eternity so if you lie down under the blades you're eventually going to die um, a good uh, another wrong answer that I actually thought of like when I was reading this for the first time I thought okay I'm gonna stand in the center to resist the centrifugal force because the if I remember my physics correctly the centrifugal force is pushing out in a circle so if you stand where it's like zero then you can like stay totally um, in place but what what'd you think is that the centripetal force or the P uh, maybe um, but. Whatever. But either way, same scenario, you'd be stuck there for all of eternity. So the right answer is actually uh, – this is, this is something that very – like extremely few people get. Um, and not the right answer, but a good answer that Google likes is you can just jump out of the blender. And the reason for that – and this, this was a mindfuck to think about. The reason for that is in the problem – they say specifically, your mass is reduced so that your density is the same as usual. So if you look at like Newtonian physics, if your density is the same, then the power produced by your muscles will scale with the size of the muscles, so you'll still have the same ability to jump. And essentially, whether you're a flea, a frog, or Kobe Bryant, everyone has the same jumping distance. Everyone jumps like a foot or a foot and a half. So even if you... Oh, yeah, 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 like the, the, the jump height. So even if you're stuck in the bottom of Blender and you're the size of a nickel, you could still essentially just jump right out of the Blender. I don't know. So that would be that would be the like right. So, so I mean, how do you, as, wow. so, as someone who studied um, physics, does that does that answer like jive well with you? That your what, what is the argument that your density is the same? So the idea is that. Because your mass is scaling down. Oh, that you, your, your muscles can produce the same upward thrust. Exactly, because your density is maintained. Wow. That's what. Yeah, that's what they say, and it, it's it's kind of like non-intuitive. Um, the other thing that uh, that they say, like a second acceptable answer, is they say that you can because you're you're so small, and I don't really understand the science behind this, but they say that if you were to like climb out, you, your hands would stick to the walls, much like a bug. Um, and it would it would be very easy for you to just like pull yourself up. Forces, right? 
I, I, I have no idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they talk about like how an ant can lift like a hundred times its body weight. It'd be like the same thing for you pulling yourself up. So like again, there's no right answer for the blender problem. But if you said jump out or if you said climb the walls, you'd probably get points. Anything else? No. So your answer was good because you you had said climb out and then you said uh, what was the second thing you said? I think I think actually my other two answers were even like knocking it over so you don't have to even climb. Yeah, th- th- that was not bad. But how how would you do that? You know, you just kick the side of it. I mean, it's like some precariously balanced thing. So we're we're gonna keep going and and if, if, as long as you're okay with it. Yeah, let's get out because, of this. <laughs> because let's get out of this blender. Because these are actually fun to kind of think about. And, you know, you, you obviously are very, you know, as, as uh, well-versed and well-read in science as anybody. So um, you'll be like a good guinea pig for this. Um, here's another one that I found interesting. So you have, um, you have two hourglasses. You have a four-minute and a seven-minute hourglass, okay? And using the four-minute and seven-minute hourglass, you have to measure exactly nine minutes of time. How would you, how would you go about doing that? And you have to start them both at the same time. Okay, that's a good question. And you can't you can't like turn it over. You okay? You, I guess it would have the whole thing would have to run its course. Um, here's what I would do. I would run. I, I figured it out. Okay. I would run. I would start the seven and the four at the same time. You have no choice but to do that. Keep going. <laughs> yeah, so far I'm killing it. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, when, the, when, the, when the four minute runs out, I'll run it back again. Oh, okay, wait a second. Let me think before speaking. Like, hold your, hold your applause till the end. Like, um, so I need to measure nine minutes, not eight minutes. Okay. So you run, you run the four and the seven at the same time. The second that the four runs out, you, you run it again. So that'll... Basically, the second time that the so when that runs out, there's uh, three minutes left. Fuck! Like you have to edit this out, Ricky. <laughs> That's what Stevanos always says. No, no, I know. It's it, if you've listened to the other bonus episodes, and I know our listeners have. It's always funny when Stevanos goes, "Fuck!" You, know, you, you, you go, he goes, "You're gonna have to edit this out." <laughs> That's like that's like people listen to these bonus episodes because they want to hear us say you're gonna have to edit this out. That's like the the, the admission of shame. All right, you want me to tell you? You want me to like? Or actually, this no, this, I this I is an interview. This. this is an interview. I absolutely can do this. Okay. Okay. Um, <laughs> two hourglasses, the four and the seven. You have to measure nine minutes. So you got to use them at the same time and have leftover sand to account for the additional time. Mm-hmm. Run the four and the seven at the same time, mm-hmm. and then when the four runs out, run it again, mm-hmm. and then the seven will expire, and there'll still be a minute left in the four, mm-hmm. and then you run the seven again, and that gets you eight minutes. All right, so listen, so, so I'm going to tell you just just to uh, to I mean I mean your y- your process was very good, and 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 you actually really close. Um, again, this was one where when I did it on my own, I was unable to to grasp it. But the Three minutes left. The key is, and you came very close. The key is that you have to use both sides of the sand. So if you flip the seven and there's six minutes left, that means there's one minute on the other side. So you can utilize that as well. So if you start them both, exactly. if you start them both at the same time, and as you said, when the four minute runs out, you flip it over. The seven minute still has three minutes left right. when the four minute has one minute left the seven minute runs out and you flip it at that point once one minute goes by four minutes have run out 
and the seven seven minute hourglass is is filled with six minutes and it has one on the other side. But you have to flip. This is the key. You flip it to get that. You, you have to flip it to get that last minute. Oh, because it gets another additional minute to refill. Exactly. And then once the seven minute hourglass is empty from the other side with the one minute, then you know nine minutes has elapsed. Elapsed. That that's actually a pretty tricky one. It's also hard to like convey in words. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's hard to think through without paper. But I mean, for some of these questions like they don't you know they don't give you paper I, I think if you have a notebook for the interview you can like write stuff down yeah. um this this one's okay this one's very famous um and this is something you've probably heard before uh it's have you heard of the monty hall problem um i've heard of it okay so they ask you a question that is essentially like a reframed version of the monty hall problem and so here's the question they ask you there are three boxes one contains a valuable prize. The other two are empty. You're, mm-hmm. you're given a choice. You're given your choice of a box, A, B, or C, but you aren't told whether it contains the prize. Instead, one of the boxes that you didn't pick is opened and is shown to be empty. You're allowed to keep the box you originally picked, stay, or swap it for the unopened box, switch. What would you rather do, stay or switch? Switch. You knew it immediately, boys. I'm yeah, because because when you choose initially, you have a one in three chance of getting it. But the, probabilistically speaking, and then when they open another box and it's empty, now you have a one in, in two. You have fifty percent chance of getting it. Um, if you were to just choose outright, so you should switch. Literally, like you redeemed yourself for the poor showing in the previous three questions or the previous two questions. So essentially, th- this is so this is one of the few questions that Google asks where there is like a very clear answer. Um, so the Monty Hall problem uh, is a famous, like, mythical probability question, and the idea is that there's three doors, and behind two of the doors are goats, and behind one door is a car, and you choose door A, and the host opens one of the other two doors, B or C, um, and reveals, let's say he opens door B, he reveals a goat. So the question is, if you chose door A initially, do you switch to C or keep A? And to Jeremy's point right there, conventional wisdom says keep door A because there's a 50-50 chance that one of the two has a, uh, has a, has a car. But what you just said, if you want to repeat that, why, why isn't it a 50-50 chance? Because when you had initially chosen, the probability was a 33% chance because there were three possible doors and you picked one. So now that they've eliminated one that's a non-contender, there's only a, there's a fifty percent chance from choosing then. So you should swap. Absolutely, yeah. That was that that was like pretty pretty uh, pretty straightforward. Um, but again, like unconventional there. Um, let me ask you another one here. So okay, this, this is a cool question. Imagine a country where all the parents want to have a boy. So it, it's it's a patriarchal society. Uh, we don't, you know, we don't endorse that on Nervous Habits. <laughs> so it's a country where all the parents want to have a boy. So every family will keep having children until they have a boy. And then they stop. What is okay. the, what is the proportion of boys to girls in this country? Um, okay, so. So I'm going to, I'm going to repeat that again. Imagine a country where all the parents only want a boy and they're going to keep having kids until they get a boy. Then they stop. What is the proportion of boys to girls in this country? Okay. Right. So initially 50% of them will be boys, 50% will be girls. So you'll have the same 50 you'll have the 50-50 split. The ones who have a boy will stop 
Whereas the ones that had a girl will 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 spin will roll the Russian roulette yet another time. Mm. Um, okay. So they then fifty percent of those people, fifty percent of the remaining fifty percent will have a boy. Sixty six percent boys. Why do you say that? Because as you basically, am I right? <laughs> <laughs> what? No, it's like, can yeah, you imagine it's like no, an interview? He's like, he's like, how are we doing? Guess, yeah. No, no, because 50% boys, 50% girls initially. And then the 50% that are that have girls will try to have boys again. And, and then 50% of those will end up with boys. 50% of those will end up with girls. And thus the process continues. It's like a recursive algorithm. So I, I have to check the answer, but my – so like what I think the answer – I think the answer is 50 percent. I don't think it's two-thirds because y- your logical reasoning was sound. I don't know how you arrived at two-thirds because – so you're right, 50-50 boy-girl. But the thing is if they have a girl and there's a 50 percent chance they're going to have a girl, they could theoretically have 20 girls in one family. But they can't have 20 boys. So every family that has more girls than boys – that like essentially shifts the percentage, shifts the um, right. the scale back to the boy. So, I my understanding is, and and I, you know, I guess we could like like math no, no, method out, actually, but yeah. I I think I think it, I think it ends up being fifty fifty. But I have to check actually what it uh, what it says. Let's let's look this up. Fifty percent boys. Let's see. Let's stop when they have. These are the annoying questions. Jeez. That's the key. I'm. Yeah. Let's see what it says. It says, "Oh yeah, okay." So, so I'm looking at one of the uh, one of the websites. I guess there's like a website where they actually go into some of these Google questions by William Poundstone, and uh, yeah. So essentially, on one of the uh, websites where they talk about this, um, they say that it's there is a there is essentially like a formula. It looks like a sigma notation formula. Yeah, I'd have to, it's a, yeah. Using like n equals one, it's crazy how like into the weeds you get. But the like anecdotal piece says that if you have ten couples who have ten babies, five will be girls, five will be boys. But the five couples who have girls will have five babies. Half will be girls, half will be boys. Uh, add two point five to the five already born and two point five girls to the five already born. Then you have fifteen, seven point five girls, seven point five boys. The two point five couples that have girls will have two point five babies. Half will be boys, half will be girls. I don't even understand the reasoning. I'm I do you, I mean do you think do you think it's fifty percent now? Have I, have I swayed you? Um, I mean, it's the type of thing you need a pen and a paper to actually like like you like I think a lot of these Google interviews want you to do like a toy example where you take like a very like usable sample size like you say there are three families in the population you see how it operates and then you kind of like extrapolate into like uh you know the infinite or whatever that number n i don't know but then there's the idea that it's not even a mathematical puzzle it's just like it's like flipping a coin you're always you know if you get 20 heads in a row what's the probability you're going to get tails it's not you know one you know, 1920 or you know 120 it's it's literally 50 50 so no matter what world you're in it's still a 50 percent chance you're gonna get a girl and 50 percent chance you're gonna get a boy so like that's another way to look at it. I don't know. Like if this was again like the Google interview, um, that I think would be an appropriate answer. Um, but, but if you if you let's just say that initially everyone's a boy. <laughs> okay. I mean I don't know. Like, Sexist. Like you're, you're yeah right. You you stop when you're when you've reached a guy and and 
that has to, you have to take into account that some of them I don't know, it's a little trickier than that. I think we would have to like sit down with a piece of paper and try saying that there's five families and 50% of the families. So let's say there's five families, okay? Yeah. If 50% of, let's just say that of the five families, three of them have boys right away and two of them have girls, right? Mm-hmm. So then there's two families left trying still. So let's say of that, 50% of them are boys, 50 are girls. So the family does it again and there's one more girl and then there's one more boy. So you have four and three. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. In this scenario, you'd still you'd have more boys than girls. Uh, it, could, it, it could be around 50%. All right, let's, mo- let's move on to keep, to keep the viewers engaged. All right. Yeah. Here's a here's kind of a fun one um, that was in the book. What's his name, Jeremy? I don't know. Pound, you pound stone for a living. Yeah. So, um, you and your neighbor are holding yard sales on the same day. So let's 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 make this interesting. So Jeremy and Stephanos are holding a yard sale on the same day. Both both of you plan to sell the exact same item. Let's say you're selling a I don't know a physics textbook, and you, Jeremy, plan to put your item on sale for a hundred dollars. The neighbor, Stephanos, has informed you that he's going to put his on sale for $40. The items are in identical condition. What do you do assuming that you are not on especially friendly terms with your neighbor? So it's the same item. The same item. You want to sell it for a hundy. He wants to sell it for 40 bucks. What do you do assuming that you're not on good terms with that nose, with the neighbor? Uh, you go over and you, and you break his uh, item. <laughs> You break his what? What did you say? You break his item. <laughs> okay, uh, but but again, this you know, let, let's pretend this is like this is an inter- an interview, and you want to get you, you want to get hired. You, over, you buy his item for forty bucks, and then you sell both for hundred each, right? C- can you elaborate on that, please? Um, I mean, you're gonna get outsold, assuming everyone goes to both garage sales on this item, and if if you think you can actually turn a profit for for a hundred. Then it would be in your best interest to buy his for forty and then sell it for hundred. Okay, but I'm going to play devil's advocate, um, which a lot of the interviewers do. What's to say that either of these things are going to sell, and then you're left with two essentially valueless items? What, what, what if your goal? The, the assumption. This, I mean, the, I mean, the assumption is you have some sort of understanding about the desire that this item produces in the economy. Mm-hmm. If people, if you know this is, if you have a gut feeling that this is the type of item that people are going to want to buy, and you know the going rate, I mean, for you to even put it at a hundred bucks, probably it sells for more than a hundred bucks on like other platforms. Mm. So, I think that, I mean, I'm assuming that you, being me, is like intelligent enough to to correctly price these items. So I think I would, I mean, me, I would probably buy it for forty, sell it for a hundred. Mm. I mean, when I uh, when I read this. I, I my thinking was that we would kind of negotiate like he brings the price up and, and I bring the price down but you're not on good terms with him so there's no incentive for him to do that also then you're losing money so right. I actually yeah I, I had the same thought like if you if you eliminate his item from the market then you're guaranteeing that you have almost like a monopoly on the textbooks Absolutely. in your neighborhood <laughs> so <laughs> even if you don't sell it at least you don't have to worry about that so I, I think I think that that would be an acceptable answer Okay, this is this is a, a a really good math problem. So you know, imagine you're at Google and they sit you down for the interview and they ask you, "What is the minimum number of coins that you need to give any amount of change?" What the minimum number of coins you need to give any amount of change? Yeah, no cheating. Uh, okay. 
to give any amount of change. Well, let's assume we're, let's assume we're in America. All right, fine. So the minimum number of coins. Mm. So I mean, there's a twenty. Do other fifty cent coins in America? I guess there are. Um. Yeah. Let's assume. I mean, I, I haven't. 50, I haven't seen many in circulation, but let's assume there are. Fifty, twenty-five, ten, five, one. The minimum amount of coins you need to give any amount of change. Um. This is a math problem. <laughs> yeah. So essentially, um, yeah, okay. you, yeah, yeah. It's tough. I'm, I'm getting burnt out on these questions. Yeah, I think. Yeah, it, it, I mean, yeah. It's like usually. Been here for like two hours. Usually for what we th- this episode just started. <laughs> it, it's Thanksgiving, boys. So, um, <laughs> essentially, when I was uh, like when I was thinking, about it, it's just like you got to think about what number, like what what would be the greatest possible number that would require you, like necessitate that you need change for right. it. So it's like. It has to end in a nine because right. so it has to be a five and four cents. Right. And then, oh, you, go ahead. I think he's close. Yeah, that's good. No, I mean that's that's like that's the way to do it. And yeah, so essentially, like ninety nine cents is a really good example. Um, so then you have four pennies, uh, a nickel, um, a fifty cent coin, a twenty five cent coin, fifty cent, twenty five cent, um, four pennies. That would be six coins, and that's what seventy nine cents. And then two dimes. So that would be 99. So what is that? Eight? Eight coins. And if you didn't have a 25 cent piece or 50 cent, if you only had 25 cent pieces, that would be nine because then you need three 25 cent pieces. So three quarters, uh, two dimes and four pennies. So 75, 85, so 99 as well. So either eight if you have a 50 cent piece or nine if you have no 50 cent piece. Right. And that's that's good. You find that the example that's the most number of coins you'll need. Yeah. yeah but, that's good. Here we go. There are two rabbits. There are two rabbits, Speedy and Sluggo. When they run a 100-meter race, Speedy crosses the finish line while Sluggo is at the 90-meter mark. Both rabbits run at a constant speed. Now we match them up in a handicapped race. Speedy has to start from 10 meters behind the start and run 110 meters, while Sluggo starts at the usual mark and runs 100 meters. Who will win? So Um, Speedy and Sluggo... Uh, they're running 100 meters, and Speedy crosses the finish line while Sluggo is still at the 90-meter mark. Sluggo. So obviously we know who's who among the two of us. Uh, and then in a handicapped race, because Speedy's faster, he starts 10 meters behind the start, and Sluggo starts at the usual mark and runs 100 meters. So, Speedy will win, right? What would you say? Because I think Speedy will win because the time it takes him to run the additional 10 meters is less than Sluggo. Because he's faster. So you think Speedy will win? I mean, I I, I, I don't know the answer to this. Like, I, I'm just. Well, let me think about it. My first, my first instinct is, given that in the previous race, Speedy had run 100 meters and Sluggo had run 90 meters. Speedy will take less time to run 10 meters than Sluggo because right now the only difference is an additional 10 meters for each for each group for each side. Mm-hmm. But I think Speedy will take less time to complete that 10 extra meters than Sluggo will. Final answer. Uh, do you have any uh, mathematical or scientific formulas that you would like to use in order to arrive at that answer? Um, I mean, like, if we wanted to be thorough, we could say, well, let's give, like, a, a time that it took for the, the first race to be completed and then mathematically subdivide 
that and then into like how many like what what the speed was like let's say that it was a that they ran um 100 meters in 10 seconds right Mm -hmm. so let's say speedy ran 100 meters in 10 seconds and sluggo ran um basically he ran 90 meters in that time so um so he runs yeah this is like Speed equals distance over time. No, I mean you're, you're right, 100. It's it's yeah, uh, exactly. yeah, yeah just... it's like yeah, it, it's just like plug numbers in, but essentially w- within any given uh, distance, Speedy's gonna have more like higher velocity than Sluggo. So right. even even though he starts from 10 meters behind, he's he's 100 meters is gonna get into the 90 meter post, while Sluggo I think is going 90 meters. And, and his 10 yeah his 10 meters are run more quickly than the slow the slow fat guy. That's that's Sluggo <laughs> from Germany. I'm all right. A, a couple more questions here. You're getting getting fried over there. Yeah. You still in the wilderness? Yep. There's like airplanes now. We can hear the uh, hear the crickets. All right, here we go. So you have a choice of two wagers. In one, you're given a basketball and have one chance to sink it for $1,000. One chance. Two, you have to make two out of three shots for the same $1,000. Which do you prefer? Let's say you're at, you're at Madison Square Garden and you're, okay. sh- you're shooting from the, fr- from the free throw line. Free throw line. Okay, so, it's, so do you prefer? So me personally... When I'm when I'm on my game, I can like can drain those free throws, no problem. Yeah, are you sure about that? Yeah, yeah, just that stuff. He, he talks a big game for someone yeah. who, who loses in one on one every chance he gets. Yeah. I'm just kidding. It's easier for you to say behind them. the guys of a computer. Yeah, like I'm a keyboard warrior, boys. Yeah. T- talking a big no, game. But, um, for me, because I'm, it, it kind of takes me a little bit to get into a rhythm. Like I wouldn't be confident that my first shot would go in. I think I have more experience than some people, so I'd go for the two out of three. But I, I think it depends on experience level. Um, if you're like the most unathletic person ever, and you've never played basketball, then you might as well just like take one shot, because it's just like a it's like a prayer. Whereas if you have more experience, you might find it beneficial to give yourself the extra shot like window so that you can find your you know find your technique. So for you personally, which do you choose, the one or the two out of three? I would choose the two out of three, but but lo- logic would dictate that you earning making two shots again. Like as the interviewer, I'm, I'm you know being argumentative. Making two shots is more difficult than making one. I don't think so for someone who religiously shoots free throws. Religiously, yeah. Reli- is that that your religion? Are you uh, you're you're, fa- you're fasting and <laughs> in observance of uh, <laughs> you you know you can't use like an ad- drop an adverb like that and not get hounded. In, in in part one, in part one of the series, I said I managed and executed something for an old job, and Jeremy's like, "Well, like you know, feel bad for the victims." So, yeah. so what you're saying is, it depends on the probability. So, like for if if you're not good, let's say, I mean, all right, all right, I'll give you this. I'm not the best at basketball. Let's say my chance of shooting up one shot is not great. W- which one should I choose? You should just take the one shot. Really? Yeah. What? Yeah. I mean, it's almost like like you you're you're like it's just a prayer either way. It's but the the one shot, there's a higher percentage of you doing that. It's like the the percentage of lightning striking twice in one spot compared to like once, right? 
Absolutely. So making one shot. So if you're not great, if the probability, if like P is like thirty percent, if the probability of you make a shot is really low, you should take the one for a thousand because there's like a thirty percent chance you're going to make it in. But the two out of three would be what, like thirty over a hundred times thirty over a hundred times thirty over a hundred, something like that. So it's like it's like a lower probability yeah. that you're going to make two. But if you're really good, like let's say your probability is like 65, 70%, you should make the two because at least if you miss one, there's a good probability that you'll make the next two. Or if you miss yeah. – if you, if you make one and miss one, there's a probability that you'll make the next one. It is probability, but I also think when it's a sport, it's like um, – it has something to do with feeling like you're warmed into it. Like, like I mean I would challenge the question and say if the person had been like shooting free throws all night and felt like really confident – then maybe, like, that's a different question than if they just, like, come cold from the audience, you know? Mm. All right, uh, we're, we're finishing up the job interview here. Uh, one, one last question I want to ask you, one last brain teaser. All right, so, Mr. Pachter, uh, you work in a 100-story building, and you're given two identical eggs, which you will not eat. Um, in fact, I actually had a plate of eggs. J- Jeremy and I were, were chatting before the podcast. It was the, uh, the pre-pod discussion. I had some eggs. So you're given two identical eggs not to eat. And you have to determine the highest floor from which an egg can be dropped without breaking. You're allowed to break both eggs in the process. How many drops would it take for you to do it? Um, am I trying to max like make this like the best answer, or can I? Can I? What? What, what, like, what, what the question was that? Like I'm saying, like am I trying to like in the most efficient way possible answer this, or can I like go one at a time? You know, like like I'm sorry, I'm getting I'm getting another call, which is why I'm like not focused. Um, fuck, he keeps calling me. <laughs> um, uh-oh, uh-oh. Okay. Gonna, have to, gonna have to include the beeps, the sensors, for, like with Stephanos a couple episodes yeah. ago. Alright. So, um, am I allowed to, like, I mean, the first instinct is, like, assuming that the egg isn't going to, like, withstand any damage, you might as well go floor to floor and drop it and see what happens. Mm-hmm. And then, eventually, when the first one breaks try from this, the next one above that and if it breaks if you if you just drop them from like one like you drop one on the first story then that doesn't break you go up higher drop it again doesn't break eventually it'll break and that that'll be the floor that it breaks at unless the egg has been worn out structurally by being dropped so many times which i don't really know the mechanics behind how an egg withstands like a fall mm-hmm. um so i would Imagine you could just knock it out with one egg from the bottom up, but then to double check, you could go on the same floor that it broke and then drop your second egg from there and see if it breaks. And if it does not, then you can go one floor above. Right. So if you drop an egg from like the 40th floor and it breaks, then you, then you can rule that out and check the remaining 39 floors with, with the second egg. Right. Um, but the issue is... If you drop it on the 40th floor, if you start on the 40th floor and you drop it and it breaks, and then you start on the 39th floor with the second egg and you drop it and it breaks, then you're screwed because like you didn't learn any data about floors that it doesn't break at. So I think it makes you sense. You start at the bottom? Or start at the bottom. Started at the bottom of the All right. That, I, I would say that that's a pretty acceptable answer. Um, all right. Now, like we're finishing up your interview. I, I need to know, why do you want to work at Google? Um, <laughs> God. Because... Why do I want to work at Google? I don't want to work at Google. 
No, you're supposed, to, you're supposed to reference the last episode, you know, like, clearly you guys have a state-of-the-art facility and yeah, market share, and, and then I'm going to say, like, oh, like, you, you just gave that answer to the other company, but I don't know, it's 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 kind of cool to, like, go into an interview like that and be challenged to, to think about, like, these kind of things. Um, by the way, in the first episode, in part one of this, we talked about, um, like, interesting in, in job interview experiences, and, and I mentioned a couple. Another one I had, which was kind of cool, I went in for a, a job, and I had, I had to sit down in a room with a, a computer, and they gave me, excuse me, they, they gave me hiccups. No, they gave me, they gave me, like, a writing sample. I had to, like, type out an essay arguing in favor of self-driving cars. That was kind of cool. Um, but I don't know, it's, it's, like, interesting to think about, like, in terms of, like applying, like showing, you know, your process, applying yourself, and whether or not, you know, wh- whether or not it would it would work. So, you, listeners have to decide if Jeremy has gotten the job based on his performance in these. Yeah, pr- probably not, man. I, I think, um, like preparing for the, like if I were to like actually want to work at Google, I would spend like months preparing and getting my mind like in the type of shape to like be like able to take on any questions like this because it's, it's almost like studying for the SAT you just have to like systematically and like come up with a process to answering each of these questions mm. you caught me off guard like yeah he, yeah <laughs> he was in the wilderness he was like hunting yeah, I was, like enjoying a nice day off he, he had no idea that he, his like, mind he, he's, gonna, he's gonna like spend the rest of his Thanksgiving like literally in bed like <laughs> oh man <laughs> um, alright anything else that we need to discuss on this bonus episode um, it's an interesting dynamic, I will say, um, because usually we do these with Stephanos, and, and now we cut we cut out the dead weight, and now it's just yeah. uh, now it's just uh, the two of us. Yeah, no, it's it's a, it's tough. Like it, it's hard. I will say that it's, it's harder than I expected to be put on the spot. Yeah, um, like I, I give dude, I give you credit. Like you didn't, you weren't prepared for really any of those questions, and you had to think it through. I mean, it's it's not, it's it's pretty embarrassing. I'm not gonna lie. I'm gonna, uh, you know, burn it onto a CD and send it to all your friends and family. Yeah, I'm gonna send it. I'm gonna like li- literally no. I'm gonna like like cut out the like all the parts where you sound like, oh, I don't know, like fuck, what do I do? I'm I'm yeah. dumb. Uh, yeah, and, and just like <laughs> like a compilation like greatest hits and send it and send it to any job that you ever apply for. Man, look, like I I think if I yeah, it was tough because like if I don't say anything. There's a lot of dead space. I think, honestly, I think if I was at Google, I might, like, literally take, like, 30 seconds of silence to just, like, think about it and write it on, like, a whiteboard, which uh, anything in front of me would have really helped. There's it's yeah. hard to keep track of, like, your thoughts without any paper or anything. They say that there, there was a chapter in the book, like, what to do when you're stumped and you, like, you seriously don't know. They say that there's a couple things. Number one is you can ask for time. You can ask for, like, 60 seconds. You can also use, like, the whiteboard and visual aids. And you can ask a bunch of questions and see if the interviewer, like, slips. If, like, if, if something's revealed. Um, but, yeah, but, uh, but uh, anything else that needs to be discussed right now? <laughs> I don't think so. I think I need to, like, take a nap. There's, like... <laughs> People are like anxiously awaiting like gripping content from this free form like organic bonus episode. Yeah. What was your last meal? Um, shepherd's pie. <laughs> Sh- why why why'd you have a shep- why'd you have a shepherd's pie? I just like have one laying around, no problem. So the shepherd made you a pie. How many digits were on that shepherd? <laughs> yeah, too many. <laughs> too many. Too um, many digits. Too many digits. So Jeremy's actually home alone right now for for, yeah. for Thanksgiving. He's got he's got the whole place to himself. It's like just like the, yeah, it's the saddest Thanksgiving the, I've ever. Yeah, had. literally, he's like sitting. Um, so if you want to pay him a visit, uh, we'll we'll uh, you know. Yeah, don't give him my address. Like, yeah, look for, like, look for him on Tinder. He's <laughs> he's yeah. he's actively like pursuing like a, a new partner. I don't think so. Um, yeah. all right. So let's say hypothetically, 
let's say hypothetically you had your own job or excuse me you had your own job you had your own company let's say 20 years into the future jeremy you're really successful and you have your own company and you're hiring everyone directly like how would you interview someone for your company let's say it's like a, a key position and you need to like you need to find the perfect person and it will make or break your company like like what kind of questions would you ask? Like, like what would be important to you? Like, would you ask these brain teasers about dropping eggs and you okay, know? Man. So I think it depends on the nature of the job. I mean, if I'm hiring like an entry level, um, let's say it's a startup. Mm-hmm. I mean, what is it? Is it a big company? Is no, it- it's a huge company, oh, and it's it's not entry level. It's it's like you need your right hand man. Senior. Okay, so it's a very senior position. Um, I think I'd be more concerned with ex- work experience. Like I'd ask, like I'd look at the resume and I'd ask like very targeted questions, based on what they had done, and and, and try to like phrase it in a way that relates to what we're doing here. Mm-hmm. I'd want them to be like a like a, a like a person I could see myself working with. So I'd do like a personality part of it, which every interview has. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I don't know about brain teasers as much as like maybe like again if it's if I'm if they're gonna be like a, a chief operating officer. The questions will be different than if they're going to be like an engineer. I mean, if they're like a chief operating officer, probably be a lot of like people managing questions or like missing deadlines or here are some like tight scenarios. How do you deal with them? Whereas like an engineer question, um, if you're senior, probably managing people. So again, probably a lot of people related things want to get their experience on like projects they've worked on or roles they've had. Probably not so much with the brain teasers, honestly. Um, I think that it's like an acquired skill that you can study for. And it, it doesn't necessarily dictate how good you'll be on the job. What do you think? Uh, I, I hear you. I, I, I absolutely hear you. I kind of like the idea of – so for certain jobs, they have to essentially like do the job in the interview. So like if it's a sales job you, – you you've seen The Wolf of Wall Street, right? Sell me this pencil or something. Sell, sell me this pen. Um, I, I actually love that idea. Like if someone's like uh, you know interviewing for a, a high – um, you know, high stakes sales position. Just pick an object in the room, like a water bottle, and be like, "How would you sell this water bottle to me?" You know, if 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 you had to, or if it's a um, let's say it's like a pharmaceutical job, and you start asking them like, you know, how would you improve this problem in our company? I like that idea, which is hands on and and puts them to, because let's be honest, like a lot of people. I mean, I would even put myself in this category. Can pre- can prepare really well for an interview, but that doesn't demonstrate at all whether or not they're suited to performing the job. Right, the value they'll add in the actual job. You know what I'm saying? So there's these two things in jobs. There's false positives and false negatives. False, false. I mean, false positives is when they someone nails an interview and they get hired, but they don't perform up to expectations in the job. And false negatives is when someone someone doesn't do well in an interview and they don't get hired but they would have been extraordinary in the job and what do you think companies are more worried about false positives or false negatives um false positives yeah exactly i mean why why is that yeah because um if you hire someone and they suck that's that's you're screwed if you miss out on a candidate that would have been great, but you hire one that's good anyway. You're okay. Exactly, because if if so, if, if you hire someone that, that messes up, they're affecting your bottom line economically. If you don't hire someone, there's no effect. It's it's potential. It, they, right. they have potential for positive effect. There's no reach. All right, so we're gonna wrap up here. Um, so a, 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 new, a new segment. How do you feel about having segments on the podcast? Is that is that the segment? It's a segment about segments. Yeah, a new segments? yeah. This is a new segment. It's called segments. Um, I'm so feel about it. So um, like, I'm I'm thinking of uh, for so okay. The regular episodes are very very much like it's all about 
people are are. God, I'm, I'm like, I'm burning out on Thanksgiving. So the regular episodes, the regular episodes, Jeremy, are all about informing people on like current issues that are interesting and multifaceted. And there's, there's, you know, either a discussion with me, an expert, or there's, uh, you know, an, an uh, interaction with literature. The bonus episodes are about like just kind of letting loose. <laughs> letting loose is funny because this was like super intense. Um, and and just having like a casual conversation. So I'm thinking about doing a segment and it's lightning round where essentially I just ask the guest um, a bunch of very random questions really quickly and you have to say the first thing that comes to mind, okay? You yeah. ready? You ready? Okay. All right, I'm going I'm to give you uh, anywhere from like 10 to 15. Ready? Set. Go. Favorite day of the week? Uh Saturday. Last song you downloaded? Um Nope. The rest for the wicked. Um first celebrity crush? Lindsay Lohan. Favorite junk food? Um, birthday cake. Say a word in Spanish. Hola. Name a primate besides monkeys and apes. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> how many? What? Let's go. <laughs> how many pull-ups? Can, how, much, how many pull-ups can you can you do in a row? Thirty-three. Do you respect Kanye West? Yeah. How many times did you <laughs> the way you said it? How many times did you sneeze in the last seven days? Uh, fuck. Seven. Say good day, mate, in an Australian accent. Good day, Mike. <laughs> How often is healthy to cry? In your life? Like, what the heck? Uh, once a, once every three weeks. What does the acronym SCUBA stand for? Uh, fuck. Sub, I don't know, I don't remember. Uh, I think I remember it, I'll skip it. What, from one to ten, how hot do you like your shower water? Eight, uh, seven. If Kim Kardashian and Donald Trump were both drowning and you could only save one, who would it be? <laughs> oh, God. Uh, Donald Trump. <laughs> do you like the name Charlie for a girl? No. If the, if, the, if the toilet paper roll is really low but not completely out, do you replace it or leave it for someone else? Leave it. Uh, did you ever believe in Santa Claus? Yeah. What sound does a seal make? <laughs> How long does it take you to get ready? Three minutes. And finally, is it wrong for a vegetarian to eat animal crackers? No. And that was the first edition of Lightning Round on the bonus episode. I like it. It's going to stick around. All right, so this has been a uh, very full... Uh, one part, two part episode. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna f- f- figure it out. Um, we have a lot of exciting episodes in the pipeline here on Nervous Habits. Um, I have said many times, and I'll continue to say, I uh, have started law school this fall uh, in Washington D.C. So I do apologize if the episodes are coming out um, rather infre- infrequently, if they're not as regular as usual. I am planning and hoping to do uh, at the very least bi-weekly episodes, so once every two weeks. Make sure you're following us on Instagram at Nervous Habits Podcast, on Twitter at Nervous habits underscore and on youtube we have a greatest hits compilation of clips from the show and that's nervous habits podcast so jeremy get on youtube and we'll have information on upcoming shows there as well jeremy thank you for joining me for this one part slash two part episode of nervous habits thank you for having me it was was a lot of fun go take a nap enjoy halloween and enjoy thanksgiving dinner uh (laughs) thanks for listening guys and remember if you're dropping an egg from the 40th floor all right stay nervous take care nervous habits bonus content